First Kings chapter 4, we will read the whole of this chapter. First Kings chapter 4. Hear the word of God. King Solomon was king over all Israel. And these were his high officials. Azariah, the son of Zadok, was the priest. Elahoreph and Ahijah, the son of Shisha, were secretaries. Jehoshaphat, the son of Ahilud, was recorder. Benaiah, the son of Jehoiada, was in command of the army. Zadok and Abiathar were priests. Azariah, the son of Nathan, was over the officers. Zebud, the son of Nathan, was priest and king's friend. Ahishar was in charge of the palace, and Adoniram, the son of Abda, was in charge of forced labor. Solomon had 12 officers over all Israel who provided food for the king and his household. Each man had to make provision for one month in the year, and these were their names. Ben-Hur in the hill country of Ephraim, Ben-Decker in Mekaz, Shaobim, Beth Shemesh, Elon, Beth Hanan, Ben Hesed in Aruba. To him belonged Succoth and all the land of Hefer. Ben Abinadab and all Nephethdor. He had Tepheth, the daughter of Solomon, as his wife. Baana, the son of Ahilud, in Tanakh. Megiddo, and all Bethshean, that is beside Zarethan, below Jezreel, from Bethshean to Abimahola, as far as the other side of Jachmium. Ben-Geber in Ramoth-Gilead, he had the villages of Jair, the son of Manasseh, which are in Gilead, and he had the region in Argov, which is in Bashan, 60 great cities with walls and bronze bars. Ahinadab, the son of Edu, in Mahanaim, in Ahimaz, in Naphtali, and he had taken Basimath, the daughter of Solomon, as his wife. Baana, the son of Hushai, in Asher, and Beeloth. Jehoshaphat, the son of Perua, in Issachar, Shimei, the son of Elah, in Benjamin. Geber, the son of Uri, in the land of Gilead. The country of Sihon, king of the Amorites, and of Og, king of Bashan. And there was one governor who was over all the land. Judah and Israel were as many as the sand by the sea. And they ate and drank and were happy. Solomon ruled over all the kingdoms from the Euphrates to the land of the Philistines and to the border of Egypt. And they brought tribute and served Solomon all the days of his life. Solomon's provision for one day was 30 cores of fine flour and 60 cores of meal, 10 fat oxen, and 20 pasture-fed cattle, 
and a hundred sheep, besides deer, gazelles, roebucks, and fatted fowl. For he had dominion over all the region west of the Euphrates, from Tifsa to Gaza, over all the kings west of the Euphrates. And he had peace on all sides around him. And Judah and Israel lived in safety from Dan even to Beersheba, every man under his vine and under his fig tree all the days of Solomon. Solomon also had 40,000 stalls of horses for his chariots and 12,000 horsemen. And those officers supplied provisions for King Solomon and for all who came to King Solomon's table, each one in his month, they let nothing be lacking. Barley also and straw for the horses and swift steeds, and they brought to the place where it was required, each according to his duty. And God gave Solomon wisdom and understanding beyond measure, and breadth of mind like the sand on the seashore, so that Solomon's wisdom surpassed the wisdom of all the people of the east, and all the wisdom of Egypt, for he was wiser than all other men wiser than Ethan, the Ezraite, and Heman, Chalcol, and Darda, the sons of Mahol, and his fame was in all the surrounding nations. He also spoke 3,000 proverbs, and his songs were 1,005. He spoke of trees from the cedar that is in Lebanon to the hyssop that grows out of the wall, he spoke also of beasts, and of birds, and of reptiles, and of fish. And people of all nations came to hear the wisdom of Solomon, and from all the kings of the earth who had heard of his wisdom. So ends the reading of God's holy word. Let us pray. Eternal God, our heavenly Father, we do thank you for this chapter from the book of First Kings, which we have just read. We thank you for what it tells us about the greatness of King Solomon and the wisdom that you gave to him. We ask our Father, even as we consider the contents of these things that you have revealed to us, that we might also be pointed to the one who is a greater than Solomon, whose kingdom is over all, and his rule extends to the ends of the earth. Grant, O oh Lord, your blessing as we consider this word together. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. We heard this morning in uh, this morning's sermon about the woman who was... Uh, had given birth to the man-child who is representative of the church and that she had a place prepared for her by God in which she was nourished for 1260 days, a place prepared for her in the wilderness. And that uh, passage 
struck me as I was thinking of uh, the sermon and Pastor Rob's, uh, uh, what he had to say about it, in terms of the wilderness of this world. The church, and as it exists right now, exists in a wilderness state, and yet it is a state in which we, the people of God, are nourished and cared for by God, and he feeds us at his table as we experienced even this morning. Well, there was a time in Israel's history in which Israel was seen and acknowledged to be the head and not the tail that Israel was seen and acknowledged by all the nations of the earth, and Solomon, the king of Israel, was seen and acknowledged by all the kings of the earth as a king who had superior wisdom, and a wisdom that caused men and women from all the known world at that time to travel to hear of the things that Solomon would have to say about the world that God had made. What an amazing uh, account we have here in the fourth chapter of 1 Kings of the wisdom of God as it is manifested in the bounty of his table and the provision that was made for him and for the, the court of Israel and this subjugation of all of the nations around Israel, and the way in which God blessed King Solomon. In fact, we might say that King Solomon is a type of the one who is a greater than Solomon. He foreshadowed one who would be in and is the king of kings, and the Lord of lords, of whom the Apostle Paul says that before him every knee shall bow in heaven and earth and under the earth, and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Solomon is a type, and Solomon, prior to his falling away from the Lord, is a type and a foreshadowing of the kingdom of Christ. And so I debated in my mind whether to give this sermon the title The Glory of the Kingdom of Solomon or The Glory of the Kingdom of Christ. And I decided to just go for it and give it the title The Glory of the Kingdom of Christ. Solomon's kingdom was a glorious title, a a glorious kingdom, but it was glorious as a type of or a shadow or foreshadowing of the greater kingdom of Jesus Christ. And I'd like for us to notice that there are many ways in which it is glorious. And the first that we see is that the kingdom of Solomon was glorious in its orderly administration. The kingdom of Solomon was glorious in its orderly administration. In the first six verses, we're given the names of those who held the important cabinet posts in the government of Solomon. And these were capable men who served under Solomon. And you may notice that these men are those who were, many of them, 
the sons of those who had led and served under David. It is a little bit surprising to notice the mention of the name Abiathar as a priest, because you remember that Abiathar had been removed by Solomon from being a priest. And some consider that it's possible that Solomon reinstated him to office or that he uh, was uh, allowed to maintain the title in the listing, but that he no longer served as a priest, possibly as a, uh, a f- maybe a faint analogy might be the idea of an emeritus status, where he maintained his office in name, but did not practice his office. But we notice then that verses after these na- the list of names of those who are the cabinet of Solomon in verses 7 through 19 were given the names of the, the various districts and the officers that served in the locations where they served. Solomon divided Israel, and by this we, it's notable that Judah is excluded. So Solomon divided the other, the northern part of, of Israel into 12 districts, and they don't coincide with the, the, the division of the 12 tribes. But he divided them, and I, I provided a map. If you have an ESV study Bible, uh, you have a, a wonderful map that is provided for, in your ESV study Bible of these 12 districts. And uh, if that could be shown on the wall, that might be helpful. I did provide it for the guys to put up if they're able to do that. Each of the men who uh, lived the, uh, and are listed here in these verses 7 through 19 uh, were real uh, men who did work in Solomon's kingdom. And uh, for most of them, Their names are unknown except for the fact that they are listed here in this chapter. And yet they were important. God, by design, um, that's not it. (laughs) By design, the the author of of Kings uh, put, it it doesn't matter. We can can skip the map if if, uh, it's not not that important. Each of these men are listed, and God went to the trouble of listing their names. And um, each of them also, uh, so they were important in their time, and they were assigned to a certain district. And yet, these men are known here and nowhere else. So recording their names serves to remind remind us that we also... uh, have been given a task in the kingdom. And you and I uh, are called by God to serve him in whatever sphere he has called you to serve. And you and I will be forgotten in a few generations. But we are not forgotten to God. God knows each and every one of his children. And the work that you do for his sake, is an important work. And the listing of these names reminds us of that. Also, we can see that each of these names uh, were 
names of men who were responsible for supplying a provision for Solomon's table for one month out of the year. In the kingdom of God and in all of the little sort of uh, small kingdoms within it, such as the family and the school, each of us are assigned tasks for which we are responsible. Uh, Some of you who are children uh, may be given tasks by your parents. You may have certain things that your parents give you to do. And when you do them, the, uh, the trumpets don't sound and you don't get any great glory from it. But it is a wonderful thing to know that as these men were given a certain place and a certain job to do, so you also have been given a job to do. No matter how small the task, no matter how thankless it may be, You're in the process of learning that God has assigned a work for you to do in his kingdom. And the fact that you do it matters to God. And it matters to those that are around you, to the well-being of your family, to the well-being of the church. What is the right motivation as we serve in God's kingdom Motivation to serve is for the glory of the king. These men who served in their administrative districts were responsible for one month's provision of food for Solomon's court. And I can imagine as that month got near, it wasn't just merely the, the transportation of what the, the, the foods that had to be provided for Solomon's table, but it was as well all of the months leading up to it where they had to produce it. There you see a little bit of that map that I was referring to. Thanks, guys. Um, You can see that each of those districts has a certain number attached to it. And uh, the the editors of the ESV Bible uh, provide that. It's a helpful tool as as you're studying this passage. And so the motivation for serving, it is for the glory of the king. It is to do whatever it is that God has given us to do in his kingdom for the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul makes that point. Whatever you do, work heartily for the Lord and not for men. But these lists also show us that God provided wisdom for Solomon. He gave Solomon the gift of wisdom. And the gift of wisdom extends to the orderly management of daily life. The orderly management of daily life. And uh, uh, that is something that many of us don't really like to give attention to. Some of us may not enjoy making lists. Some of us may not enjoy assigning people tasks, cleaning schedules, In Rob's case, I think of Pastor Rob's case, I think of the schedule for preachings that he has to put together for the the various uh, things that are scheduled. Making phone calls, sending out emails, and sending out reminders. 
but the organization of daily life is a part of the wisdom that God gave to Solomon. And the experience of, of chaos in any organization soon convinces us of the wisdom of what the Apostle Paul said when he said, let everything be done in decently and in order. And so it is that God gave wisdom to Solomon, and that wisdom extended to the administration, the orderly administration of the kingdom of Israel. Well, much more could be said about that, but I pass to the second thing in which that shows the glory of Solomon's kingdom. That Solomon's kingdom was glorious in the bounty of the king's table. Solomon's kingdom was glorious in the bounty of the king's table. And we see that in verses 22 through 23. In verses 22 through 23, we have there given the provision for one day. For each day, 30 cores of fine flour and 60 cores of meal Imagine all the bread that had to be baked for each day. And animals for meat. And the various things that had to be provided for Solomon's table. If Solomon was a type of King Jesus, we see that the Lord has prepared a table a bounteous table. This morning we celebrated the Lord's Supper. Prophet Isaiah described it in this way. On this mountain, the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine, of rich food, full of marrow, of aged wine well-refined. And he will swallow up on this mountain the covering that is cast over the peoples, the veil that is spread over the nations. He will swallow up death forever, and the Lord will wipe away tears from all eyes. So this is a table that the Lord, through the prophet Isaiah, in chapter 25, verses 6 through 8, describes as being loaded. It is a feast of rich Food. Now, it's not literal, uh, it, it, it's not a literal banquet table, but it is a table that God provides for his people. And they will eat, and it will cause them to be joyful. The Lord will wipe away all tears from their eyes. And Jesus, in his earthly ministry, referred to those who would come from the east and the west to recline with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. And in the Lord's Supper that Jesus ate with his disciples, he gave them bread. They ate a meal together. He gave them bread, symbolizing his broken body. And he gave them wine, representing his shed blood. And this points us to the fact that the feast of the Lord Jesus Christ is a spiritual feast. We are pointed to the fact that Christ's 
blood shed and his body broken is food for our souls. How is it the case? It feeds us when we know as we partake in the Lord's Supper, when we know afresh of the love of Christ who went to the cross for us. It feeds us when we know that God in his abundant mercy has found a way for his justice to be satisfied and our crimes forgiven. It feeds us when we realize that God is glorified in the the forgiveness of our sins. And because of this great fact, death as a penalty for sin is removed as well. And that is why in this passage that we cited so just a moment ago from Isaiah, he speaks of the swallowing up of death forever and that the Lord will wipe away tears and the reproach of his people he will take away from all the earth. And so it is that the Lord promises that we will uh, feast spiritually as we partake by faith in salvation, in the blood of Christ, in the broken body of Christ, broken for us for the forgiveness of our sins. And the book of Revelation describes this great table, this great uh, marriage supper of the Lamb. Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb when Christ returns in glory. So Solomon's bounteous table, supplied by all of these various districts for one month of the year, with so much bounty and so much food, is a type of the greater feast that the Bible speaks about, a spiritual feast by which he nourishes us, as was said this morning, even in the wilderness, even in the presence of our enemies. What a wonderful thing to think of the Lord's provision for his people. He provides for us richly in his kingdom. And so God, through Solomon, provided so uh, in his own court. You can take that map down, guys. The third uh, glorious uh, trait of Solomon's kingdom, Solomon's kingdom is glorious in its worldwide reach. It is glorious in its worldwide reach. We notice, especially in verse 21, that we read, and they brought tribute, all of these uh, nations and kingdoms. Solomon ruled over all the kingdoms, from the Euphrates to the land of the Philistines and to the border of Egypt, and they brought tribute and served Solomon all the days of his life. This is a case in which the nations were subdued and Solomon ruled over them. And they provided for Solomon. The whole point of this passage is to show that these various districts administrated by these men, uh, they were in charge of providing these foods for King Solomon. They brought tribute 
and they served Solomon all the days of his life, these foreign kingdoms. And Solomon's provision for one day, as we said, was great and, and uh, included many kinds of things. You notice that it says, for he had dominion over all the region west of the Euphrates, from Tifsa to Gaza, and over all the kings west of the Euphrates. They brought not only their wealth to Solomon, all these nations, and their kings, but they came as well to hear Solomon's wisdom. And so it was that Solomon was the one who was the teacher of the nations. He was the instructor of the kings of the earth. And in Solomon's wisdom, the kings found wisdom. And so it is that in the kingdom of Jesus Christ, it is also true that the wealth of the nations flow into the heavenly Jerusalem. In Psalm 72, which we sang uh, just a little while ago, we read these words. May he have dominion from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. May desert tribes bow down before him and his enemies lick the dust. May the kings of Tarshish and of the coastlands render him tribute. And may the kings of Sheba and Seba bring gifts. And may all kings fall down before him, all the nations serve him. So Isaiah as well predicts a day in which in chapter 60, verse 11, he says, Your gates shall be open, speaking of Jerusalem, your gates shall be open continually, day and night they shall not be shut, that people may bring to you the wealth of the nations with their kings led in procession. And so the greatness of the kingdom of Christ is that he, as it were, uh, brings the wealth of the nations into his own kingdom. And the city um, that uh, is described in, in the book of Revelation is a city in which there is no need for the sun or the moon to shine in it. For the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb. And by its light, the nations will walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it, and its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there, and they will bring into it the glory and the honor of the nations." The nations will serve the Lord Jesus Christ, and the wealth of the nations shall come to the heavenly Jerusalem. If Solomon's kingdom spread out to include the tribute of nations, how much more does the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ spread to include the tribute of the nations? And I believe that this is what inspired this vision from Isaiah is what inspired the Apostle Paul to preach the glory of Christ to the Gentiles. The Apostle Paul understood his gospel ministry, the proclamation of the glory of Christ among the nations, as a way in which the wealth of the nations, not in silver and gold, but in the elect 
people of God called from every corner of the earth, that the Apostle Paul knew that the ministry that he conducted was, a priest, was that of a priest, and he was offering an, a priestly offering to the king of kings, not of silver and gold, but of men and women redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul says, I have written to you very boldly by way of reminder because of the grace of God given to me by God to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel of God so that the offering of the Gentiles might be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit, that the Gentiles might be brought to the obedience of Christ. What a wonderful vision, what a wonderful way for us to think about our uh, ministry of bringing the gospel, the good news about Jesus Christ, to the ears of all in which we come into contact, that they might be brought to Christ as a priestly offering. Well, I come fourthly then to the glory of, of the Sol- Solomon's kingdom is seen in the happiness that it is afforded in that kingdom to the people of God. The happiness that is afforded to the people of God. Uh, there is an excitement in this chapter, uh, uh, maybe, maybe not in the reading of all of the hard-to-pronounce names, but there is an excitement in this chapter in the description of the, of the abundance uh, uh, that uh, was in Solomon's kingdom, but it, uh, also a description of the happiness of the people of God. Notice verse 20. Judah and Israel were as many as the sand of the sea, and they ate and drank and were happy. They ate and they drank and they were happy. The language is a feasting of the people of God. It is uh, language that describes the way in which the Israelites were to bring their offerings to the temple. When they brought their offerings to the temple, the Lord says to them, there you shall eat before the Lord your God, and there you shall rejoice, you and your household, and all that you undertake in which the Lord your God has blessed you. The idea of bringing an offering to God at the temple was a time of of joy. He says, you shall rejoice and you shall eat and drink. For seven days you shall keep the feast of the Lord your God at the place that the Lord will choose because the Lord your God will bless you in all your produce and in all the work of your hands so that you will be altogether joyful. It is a time of great joy for the people of God and for the people of Israel. And it is as though Uh, As someone has said, even prior to the construction of the temple that had not yet been built, it is as though the whole land turns into the forecourt of God's temple and the people of God are enjoying uh, the feasting in the presence of God. History has come to its final point of fulfillment in the typical kingdom of Solomon. The people of God are joyous. They're celebrating the grace and the goodness of God to them and the fulfillment of the promises that God had made to Abraham so long ago. 
that Abraham would have a descendants uh, greater than the sands of the sea and the stars of the sky. And here Solomon, uh, in, under Solomon's reign, these promises are fulfilled. Here the physical act of eating and feasting is used as a symbol of that peace and joy that they experienced. And Paul, the Apostle Paul, refers to the peace and the joy of the Holy Spirit. People were numerous. God had multiplied them. God fulfilled the promise that he made to Abraham so long before, where God had said, surely I will bless you. I will multiply your offspring as the stars of the heaven, as the sand of the seashore. And we notice as well, not only are they multiplied, and not only are they uh, feasting and filled with joy, but they are living in safety, and they are able to enjoy the fruit of their labors. Notice verses 24 and 25. In verses 24 and 25, we read, For he had dominion over all the region of the Euphrates, from Tifsa to Gaza, and over all the kings west of the Euphrates. And he had peace on all sides around him. And Judah and Israel lived in safety. Do you realize what a great thing that was for them? How long they had been raided by these other nations. How long they would get to the point of the harvest day. They, and they had to endure the various tribes coming in and stealing the harvest that they had worked so hard. And here they dwell in safety. Every man under his vine and, every, and under his fig tree all the days of Solomon. And so uh, this is a great picture of that security that God provides for his people. Though Solomon had exacted food, there was more than enough for all to enjoy. And the people of Israel in their homes were able to work and then to enjoy the fruits of their work. And they were able to provide for the king as well. And it is an interesting thing that as God enables his people to give for the bounty of the king's court, he then, as they give, he supplies them with everything that they need to continue to give. And the Apostle Paul picks that up in uh, 2 Corinthians 9. And this is, I think it points us in this whole, this whole area of generosity, this whole idea of sowing. Sowing, uh, whatever you sow, you will also reap, the Apostle Paul. In 2 Corinthians 9, he says, God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things and at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, he has distributed freely he has given to the poor. And so as the people of God were enabled to not only to provide for their own families, but to provide for Solomon's court, God added to the bounty that they experienced because of that. They did not feel it to be a hardship. Solomon's organization doesn't enslave them, but they are enhanced and they are in, flourishing, in a flourishing state. The primary note of this chapter is on the abundance of the provision 
uh, made for Solomon's, uh, for Solomon's court. And yet there is a mention of Solomon's many horses and chariots. And uh, it's also noted by anyone who reads this that, that God had forbidden in the book of Deuteronomy for the king to multiply horses and chariots. And it reminds us that in, some, in this case, um, Solomon was not the perfect king. He disobeyed God's command in this respect where God had said he, the king must not acquire many horses for himself or cause the people to return to Egypt in order to acquire horses. We should have known, Solomon should have, that it is the Lord who delivers Zion, not military might. And this was uh, at the beginning, uh, perhaps a sign of things later to come. And then uh, finally, we note that the glories of Solomon's kingdom are seen in the superiority of the wisdom that Solomon was given by God. In verses 29 through 34, we see that God gave Solomon wisdom. God had answered Solomon's prayer. Solomon had asked for wisdom, and the Lord gave it to him. And notice the way in which it is described in verses 29 and following. First, it is beyond measure. His mind had the breadth, he had the breadth of mind like the sand of the seashore. Can you imagine uh, the way in which God blessed Solomon, his, his ability and his interest? His wisdom surpassed the wisdom of all the people of the East and all the wisdom of Egypt. And he spoke his wisdom in many proverbs and songs for the benefit of many who heard him. He spoke of things that were great, like great cedar trees. And he spoke of things that are small, like hyssop that grow out of a wall. He spoke of beasts and of birds and of reptiles and fish. And someone has said concerning the broad interest of Solomon in all of God's creation, that if we are wise, we will follow Solomon's example and find delight in the things that God has made. Are you able to do that? Are you able to enjoy the creation? Are you able to stop and observe it and to take it in, to take in something of the glory of God in that which he has made? Gaze upon God's creation. Delight in it. Observe it closely. Uh, Ralph Davis uh, makes the comment, Christians should be seized with rambunctious curiosity to ponder his works, both the majestic and the mundane. The task of wisdom is, to joy, is joyfully to describe and to investigate all God's works. We may not have Solomon's insight, but we can gratefully examine the same data. As you go out into the world that God has made, observe it. Take the time to look at it and to see it and delight in it that God indeed has made these wonderful things and give him praise. The people came to hear Solomon, the wisdom that he had. All the kings of the earth came to hear him. 
And he, in this, he is also a type of the Lord Jesus Christ. Christ is glorious because his wisdom surpasses all created wisdom. His wisdom is beyond measure. The breadth of his mind is greater than the sand on the seashore. And his wisdom surpasses all the wisdom of humankind. In him are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge, the Apostle Paul says. And he became, he becomes for us the wisdom of God. He is that secret and hidden wisdom that is the Lord Jesus Christ, the revelation of the glory of God in the face of the incarnate Christ, crucified, dead and buried and raised on the third day. This is the great wisdom of God that far exceeds all of the wisdom of the world. And I was struck this morning as we read in the adult Sunday school class of the passage, 2 Timothy 3.15, that the Apostle Paul said to Timothy, from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to do what? Which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. And so I want to exhort each and every one of you to place your faith in Jesus Christ and to enter into the kingdom of Jesus Christ. It is through faith in Christ that we become members of the kingdom of Christ. Paul said we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles, but to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and Christ the wisdom of God. If Solomon's wisdom was so exceeded the wisdom of all of the world, this is only a foreshadowing of the greatness of the wisdom that God would give to us in Jesus Christ. And it is a wisdom in which we participate by faith as we trust in Christ for the forgiveness of our sins and as we feast upon the riches of his table, as we feast upon the riches of the word of God, as it is preached and it is taught to us, and as Christ is proclaimed, in our hearts we respond. We not merely hear with our ears, but we respond with our hearts, and that is eating. That is part participating in that which Christ has provided for us, at the great, great banquet of the table. And so I ask you tonight, are you a member? Have you been, are, are you a member of Christ's kingdom? Do you see the glory of Christ's reign and his rule? Do you see the greatness of the things that he is doing in the world? He delivered us from the domain of darkness and he transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son, in whom we have the redemption, the forgiveness of our sins. It is the wisdom of God in Christ that God has given to each and every one who repents of their sin and trusts in him. 
May we see something of the glory of Christ and his kingdom. May we experience it on a very deep and personal level as we trust in him. Let us pray. Our gracious God and Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this picture that you've given to us of the greatness of the rule of this king who was a sinner. He broke your commandments. He was not a perfect king. And yet, you raised him up to show us something, just a glimpse of that which Jesus Christ reveals to us. So, Lord, we do pray that you would help us to see the glory of Jesus Christ and his kingdom, and that you would bring us into that kingdom and unite us to Jesus Christ, that we might be his forevermore. We ask this through Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen. As our closing hymn tonight...